Welcome to Voices. My name is Ian Hunter, and I talk to people. Joining me today is J.B. Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Bizzle Blue Bland. We talk about the craft of DJing, the identity and culture of music, and how it all comes together on the turntable. Stick around. Your voice today. This is the this is the typical. Is know, this how you voice? You know, I'm DJing now. It's louder, but you know, yeah, this is this is it. It's just how how it is. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. JB Boyd, that's me. That's I would me. do an introduction, but I think everybody knows who you. Uh, you know, I'm I'm fortunate if people do know who I am. I'm definitely fortunate to be home and 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 hopefully making a name for myself. Hopefully positive. I think I think hope. So I'm sure it is. I'm I'm absolutely uh, certain that it is. Are you from Memphis, right? Born and raised. Born and raised. Okay. What does the city mean to you then? Uh, is that a, is that a, a complex question? I'm 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 ready to tackle them all. You know. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Memphis Memphis for me, I mean, it means just being able to to create and to live and to learn alongside folks who have just an incredible. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's an intangible kind of it's style hard, and swag and, and interest and movement and rhythm and beat. Uh, you know, you find more in some people than in others. And I think that that that's that's sort of the, the the delineation there that, you know, people say something in the water. Well, some people have drank more than others. Yeah. Uh, some people have been baptized and some people just sort of hang out by it and, and observe it and watch it. But, uh, you know. Memphis Memphis has so many incredible people and, and documenting their stories and telling their stories and amplifying what makes them interesting makes me, you know, wake up every day with 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 a mission. Yeah. I know that word authenticity gets kind of overused, but mm. that's what I tend to in general apply to our city. Mm-hmm. Something. It's mm-hmm. just a something, an energy, something that's different, obviously, than other cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we grow at a different pace at a different pace where we're in a different position. Um, and even all the bad stuff that, that gets attributed to us, you know, I think that's just a part of the, of the mix. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's my hometown too. It's, it's, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. Where'd you grow up? I grew up kind of a uh, Southeast area over, over near Wooddale. In that Wooddale? Area. Yeah. Did you go to Wooddale? No, I went to White Station. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I was in the band. I was in the band, but uh, I went to White Station because uh, I always went to Richland. I went to Richland Elementary and then went to White Station Middle and mm-hmm. wanted to be with my friends that I had grown up with since I was young. I want Jake Jake Tittle, who lives in the building, yeah. I've been with him since the beginning. Uh, Cole Wheeler, I still still have a lot of people around who I've known since we were very young, and so I remember there definitely was a point. And it wasn't my choice to go to Richland. I was five, but by the time yeah. I was going to middle school my mom tried to kind of break me out of of that and and see if i wanted to go to john p freeman and uh i i threw a fit i threw probably one of the biggest fits of my life to try to stay with my friends that i'd grown yeah. up with already. yep i did that too i something happened i had to change schools it's hard at that age man mm-hmm. it, either it's your friends and or as a girl <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's a big thing. That's moving your whole world, man. Well, that's like moving out of town because at that age, the the uh, ecosystem of a school, your social life, everything is wrapped into that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm fortunate that she she just didn't fuss with it, and I think that my dad probably didn't want to change his route to school too much anyway. So I yeah, I got to stay in the same district. Did you grow up in a house full of music? Um. 
I definitely know that uh, when I was young, my parents, you know, got tired of having to flip one song to another from between different media. I was born in that that sort of middle ground, that crossroads between cassette and CD and mm. tape and yeah. you know and vinyl. And so, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to hear. Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy, yeah. on, and it was on cassette. I wanted to hear the Lion King soundtrack. It was on cassette. I wanted to hear Barney. It was on cassette. But if I wanted to hear Michael Jackson, I had to hear it on the record, you know, if I yeah. wanted to, you know, do that. So, and you know, if I wanted to hear Tupac, I needed to hear it on CD. So yep. my parents were like, all right, today's the day you're going to learn how to work all this stuff. It's one <laughs> stereo system. This button does this. This button does that. And I remember just that day, you know, it, you know, it used to kind of sit over me and play music for me and then that day it was like here's where all the music is here's how all these different things in the stereo system work mm-hmm. and you just have at it and so i was probably like four and um yeah. so i was turntable one moment cassette this moment cd this moment and i'm just Uh-oh. just down there and uh they had tons of records and so it was always michael jackson but then it's like, okay, what's this? What's that? What's that? Yeah. And so um, I started to slowly over the years, you know, even when I had PlayStation, even when I had my own cassette Walkman, or even when I had my own CD player, or whatever the case, you know, once or twice a year, just sort of sit down and their records be bored and be like, let me see what, what is this? What's this? What's this? And uh, yeah. so, you know, uh, eventually I, I, I kind of made it through their record collection, having heard a good bit of stuff and that's when you got the the itch no you you knew what a dj was i guess at that point yeah i certainly was sort of when they weren't looking scratching the record you know not not knowing that that was it wasn't the best setup for that kind of thing but uh even getting that timing down of knowing how much to drag a a record back with your finger before you get to a certain spot you know just i kind of had was developing that muscle memory even pretty young but uh, I didn't really get into collecting records. I, I, I um, when I was when I was a freshman in college. No, well, well I'll, I'll say when I was high school age, I went to Spin Street and picked up a couple records just to just to see what Spin that Street. felt like. Yeah. Uh, but definitely by the time that I was in college, uh, my uh, my cousin Andrew Love, who was in the Memphis Horns, he passed away, and I didn't really know much about him because growing up he had Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, when people, we would see him on holidays, that kind of thing, I say on holiday, like I'm British or something. We'd see him during like the Christmas or Thanksgiving mm-hmm. dinner. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to ask him. I didn't know how to let him know that I, that I had been to museums and seen him at the rock and soul or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And so yeah. by the time I was in college, you know, I'd been to the Stax museum many times and, and was familiar with this story, you know, from, from the outside looking in, but, I wanted to know more. I wanted to connect with the music. And so I started just going to the record store and seeing what I could find. And I started finding tons of stuff that he played on. And yeah. I would even find Memphis stuff and not really know what it is and be like, well, I guess I might as well just buy it, you know, buy it. And maybe he did play on it. Maybe he had something to do with it. I don't know. But it's Memphis and, you know, stacks or it's high or whatever. So let me just hold on to it. And so I just started buying all that stuff. And I went home from school or started slowly kind of migrating my parents' record collection into my stuff. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of became a thing that I was into. That's a lot of exposure too. Just having all those records, man. Uh, just me personally, I, I'm of the opinion you would probably agree. Just being a youth and uh, being a youth in Memphis and having that kind of exposure, I think shapes you, uh, shapes your mind in a positive way that affords you later. Because I guess as a DJ, I don't know that world really, but you have to be this kind of master weaver. I always thought you guys were just, you had this encyclopedic knowledge of, of music, but it seems that a lot of it can be spontaneous. You could literally just grab something out of a box and spin it in with what you're doing. Or do you have to know, do you need a deep understanding of the track or the genre that you're just, that you're about to spin into it? Or I think it's both. Can it be spontaneous? I think that is both, um, you know, different DJs approach it different ways. Uh, I'm certainly one that likes to be spontaneous in the moment now, but I've afforded myself that by making some educated guesses yeah. when I do go out looking for records. Um, you know, you can kind of look at a record and tell 
a few signals that will tell you how it might sound, uh, yeah. what the instrumentation is, um, what the people look like and, you know, what time period it was. Yeah. You can kind of assume what the popular sound of that day may have been. And if people are a couple steps one way, a couple steps another way, uh, you know, but it takes a lot of education on the front end. And I'd be intimidated by that and knowing what has already existed uh, as far as, which DJs and producers in the past have done certain things. Now I was a kid that even before I was into records, you know, people would say, well, what song samples this song or is this song a sample or is this the original or is this the whatever? And yeah. I was always the kid that was like, Oh no, that's James and Tume yep. or, or that's Prince or no, that's, that's a Michael Jackson song or, Oh, the, you know, this person rapped on that, but they featured on this and people would be like, JB, how do you know all this stuff? And it's like, yeah. I, you know, I just would, I would download music. I would be on Wikipedia. I would be listening to YouTube. I'll be listening to interviews. Yeah. And so by the time I got to be, uh, older, which, you know, my, my career wasn't DJing. I mean, I was collecting records in college and then, um, I knew how to DJ because I'd learned to DJ with just a computer from bridge builders which is a leadership organization in town um i was a staff member there and so i i learned how to play brand new music for the students you know once a you know once a week they would have a big dance and uh you know i was i went through as a student and then the summer after my high school year dj the dances for the students yeah. um, and so you know, I wasn't using records. I was just using a computer. We listened to, you know, Lil Wayne and Ace Hood and all that. There was no reason to be needing to bring in a bunch of records and stuff. I mean, that was yeah. what that was. And at that point, I wasn't collecting records anyway. It was that, you know, that following probably winter or so when I started to, mm -hmm. you know, get into trying to find, you know, Isaac Hayes and Al Green and all this kind of stuff and, and sort of figure, yeah. figure my mind around that. But, um, you know, I, I came into collecting records looking for this specific Memphis history, and I already kind of had a lexicon for, you know, Roy Ayers and lexicon. The, that's yeah, a good word. Ronnie Laws yeah. and all the groovy stuff that had been sampled before. Yeah. And so to know, you know, what MF Doom had sampled or a Tribe Called Quest or Mad yeah. Lib or, you know, Pete Rock and CL Smooth. You you know, growing up having known that just in a in a on a level that I could pull from that. Then you can go into a record store and say, okay, well, you're probably not going to find the Bob James record that everyone has sampled. Your first time going into a record store. Yeah. Probably not because, you know, that record store probably hadn't seen it in a long time because that's a record that people, once they get it, they keep. But you can, mm -hmm. you can be sure that if you listen to enough Bob James records, you'll find things that you think, well, I wonder why no one's ever sampled this. And so, uh, you, or you start to look at who's played on those records and you start to listen to their records and, you know, you start to wonder, you know, or start to it sort of develop an ideas about which things are groovy and which things aren't and why. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, I wasn't DJing for years. Uh, after college, I, I went to journalism school. So I, I got a job in journalism and I'd been, I've been writing. That entire time, I've been a writer full time. I've I've been a writer in a freelance capacity. I've been in news. I've interviewed you know tons of different people and sat down with people, yeah. musicians or otherwise. Uh, you what know, were you in college or undergrad for? Broadcast journalism. I knew okay. I wanted to be a writer, but I'd, I'd grown up around cameras and so I wanted to kind of learn how to edit and that kind of stuff. I figured I couldn't teach myself that at eighteen, nineteen, twenty, yeah. twenty-one. This is I'm new to all this, so yeah. I'm. I'm you know, hopefully you're going to teach me some stuff today. We've got a turntable to our left here in this little room. Well, you know, I, uh, I started just... You got to have two, I assume. Yeah, you got to have two and a mixer <laughs> to kind of do what I do. But, you know, I, I I definitely had no idea or inkling that I would be DJing out for people after college. You know, I thought Bridge Builders is done and I did my yeah. little college radio thing, but I never thought that I'd be doing that, especially with two turntables. I didn't know, you know, I didn't think I'd have enough money ever in life to have two turntables at once. Yeah. Well, the game changer was definitely Central Station. Uh, That's where I first saw you. Yeah, That's yeah. been a couple of years, a few years ago. I wasn't DJing at all before that. I just had a lot of records, and they reached out and said, would you bring them down and play them? You, you've been writing about them. I wrote for the Daily Memphian at the yeah. time. And like You've been writing about these records. You're on the Bill Street Caravan, which I, I, I co-host and write the Bill Street Caravan. So um, what happened was uh, they had already had Chad Weekly in place, Silky Vincent is what Chad, we call him, Chad, yeah. or uh, Silky Jones, Memphis Jones. Uh, he he already was 
he's the manager down there. He was the DJ yeah. manager. And so when they reached out to me, I became a part of his sort of crew of DJs that would come out. And every day of the week, you'd hear a different style of Memphis music. It was all Memphis music. Yeah. And so, you know, I would come up there and DJ, but I also would come up there and listen. And every time I'd come, I'd see and notice different things about the way that different people approach Memphis music. Some people like adult-oriented rock. Some people like mm -hmm. punk. Some people like soul. Some people are like really, really deep soul that no one ever heard. Some people like gospel records. It's like, I'm hearing all these records that I didn't know were a part of Memphis music. Yeah. And also noticed that a lot of them played 45s and didn't bring big rec records and albums around. And I'm carrying this big, heavy thing of albums. It's like, all right, well, let me start paying attention to these 45s because there's music on there that never has ever been on LPs a lot. Yeah. And they're, they're easier to carry. Um, if I play one BB King song, I'm not going to keep playing songs off that album and throw it in the box somewhere. And so mm -hmm. if I just, if I'm just going to play one song at a time, then it's economical to imagine that. You know, anyone that put out a put out a single thinks that either one side or the other side is their best material. There's usually a fast song or a slow song. Yeah. Fast song or a slow song, probably their best fast song, their best their best ballad. So if I'm only gonna play one song by one artist an hour, I might as well go with the smaller record that has what's probably one their best song of that time yeah. period. Uh so I kinda switched my whole routine pretty quickly and started using all the money I was making from DJing down there to buy more records and get better at yeah. at, at just being concise. And that one good song and, and a few other decent songs that's basically evolved in what we have today where you got, you know, you got 12 tracks and you got mm -hmm. a couple of those prime and then they'll do those those filler songs. And mm -hmm. Not that they don't put as much energy in those songs. It's just they they know going in or the engineer, the producer knows going in that we needed at least a couple of hits. Right. Yeah. Well, that 45 is 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 a single. It's, it's just a song. It's just a track on one side, a track on the other side. Sometimes that's the same track oh, or it's one yeah. track or the instrumental. So it's the, that's their sure shot. They send it out to the radios or send it to jukebox or send it directly to DJs or whatever the case, depending on the era. And now all those records are laying around. And so that makes it easier for, for a DJ to be like, all right, I'm just going to drop this. This is the joint, you know? And yeah. so to answer your original question, I can walk into a, I can walk into a record store and see, you know, a stack full of records, whether or not they're categorized, you know, somebody can say, we just got a box of records in from this person. Okay. Well, what kind of person was it? Oh, well, they were black dude in his seventies. All right. Well, I imagine most of his records are from people that look like him. It's probably an educated guess. All right. Well, I can imagine by, you know, looking at this album cover, the guy's wearing a Jerry curl. That's probably late seventies, early eighties. All right. Yep. What music was popular at that time? Yep. Disco post disco. All right, cool. Well, um, this guy was signed to South soul records. All right. Definitely disco. It's got keyboards on it. It's got yep. this particular synth player on it or whichever the case. I don't need to listen to it. It's probably funky. It's probably funky. If you're going to give it to me for $2, I don't even need to waste my time trying to hear it because I'm not going to be able to digest it. Just I'm going to give you $40 for all these records. These are the ones that I think are probably funky. I've never yeah. seen them before, never heard of them before. I'm out of I'm out of two bucks each for each of these. I'm out of four. You know, I got 20 records now, you know, whatever the case. Yeah. I, I did all right. I can go home. I can set them aside. And when I'm ready to kind of dig into that, I'll figure it out. So that's 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 the kind of. And so in that case, if you said, all right, JB, you drive, you know, you know, I'm on my way home. And someone's like, I need you to go do a DJ set right now. It's like, I don't have my computer, but I do have these 20 records. Well, I, I can I can probably drop the needle on this record. Yeah. And once I get going in the four minutes it takes for one song to finish, I could probably find something somewhat funky on the next record I'm about to play because I can just I can you can smell a funky record just by looking at the looking at the people yeah. and looking at the instrumentation and thinking about the era. And to this day, I, I think you have still said that the single coolest thing I've ever heard on the radio. And that was uh, I think I need a tetanus shot. Because I done messed around and stepped in some funk. That part, that part. <laughs> it's just about. Having I thought fun. that was good. So yeah. the, I, I guess you get in that zone when you're whatever music it is. You just feel what, what to say, and, and then y'all do the. Forgive me, I don't know the, the language, but something I've heard lately mm -hmm. is just the little dip out of the volume. Is that something new, or has that always been a? Oh, it's like a uh, like a low pass filter or a high pass filter. So and you'll just zip the volume down for like 
half a second to say something and zip it back up. Depends. Depends on the depends on the DJ. It depends on the DJ. For me, I'm, if I'm cutting the volume down and talking and saying stuff, it's just it's just spur of the moment. It's just what I feel. Not to say I don't have slip ups, but yeah. you know, I try to prepare on the front end. I'm, I'm at the point now where I can I can clean music up on my own without yeah. even consulting the artist. So is that stuff in that booth pretty high tech, or is it all familiar to you? Uh, you know, you can, curve. you know, the, it's, it's, it's as deep as you, as you can go. And, and it is, and it, but also can be pretty straightforward. You know, I can, I can train people to do it in an afternoon or not even in a couple of hours, you know? So it just depends on, on what the person's, what the person's skill level is coming in. You know, there are people who are already record collectors. All I need to know is how to go between one record and another record. Or there are some people who are just going to go in there and plug it into their computer and just yeah. play through a playlist. It's like, well, I need to teach you how to use the microphone and how to plug this computer in, you know? Yeah. And then there's tons of other stuff in there that I wouldn't want anybody to know because, you know, I trained somebody when we were starting the radio station, which I don't think we've, we've told that story yet, but I trained someone and they came in. The first thing they said was, is there anything in here that I shouldn't touch that'll take this whole thing down? I'm like, well, dude, let me teach you how to use the stuff you should you use first. That's a strange question. But if you have like a, even if you have a vet coming in there, um, I mm-hmm. guess every environment's different. All the tech is different. Like, True. You know, if Alex rolls up in there, obviously he's been doing it for years, but I guess it's just a learning curve, whatever environment you walk into. We could use the turntables, but he had not been on radio before. So oh, you, yeah. add the, you add that part. And he's also not a talker when he DJs. So you, oh, you, know, yeah. you have to have some engagement with the with the community and have to tell people, you know, what they're listening to, WXR 91.7 FM, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. It is. It does take some learning, and wow. we have to learn to adjust to him too. You know, we had our turntable set up at a certain height that wasn't comfortable for him. He's a taller guy. Yeah. Um, we came and fabricated some stuff to bring it up to where it would probably be convenient for everybody. But he, we weren't thinking like DJs. I'd only been DJing out since right before the pandemic, the year but prior to the pandemic. I didn't have a huge. Uh, you know, knowledge base of, of what other DJs might like. I'm, and I'm the kind of person that's like, I'll just figure it out. But we were, he was sitting down at the turntables the first time he did it down there. And he's like, this isn't going to work. We got to lift these up. So (laughs) that kind of stuff we have to learn from him too. Well, I mean, we could talk forever about YXR, but it's what an extraordinary thing, man, uh, for the city and all you guys. And is it two years? Yes. Two Two years years now, October 5th. Yeah. And, um, it's just it's it's a really beautiful thing for the city and just to ha- it's it's really uh, it's so new but it just feels like so right and Thank you. Uh, because the the programming is so diverse and Thank you. all over the place so it's a uh, it feels like it's been around for twenty years not two but um, well we hope we hope we'll get to that point that's definitely uh, I'm excited because we have got some new DJs coming on uh, Alex who we just talked about left and so. Yeah. DJ Capital A, uh, DJ Capital A, referencing. He, you know, decided that he had he had proven his point. He <laughs> he had done what he needed to do, and so um, it made the way for a couple other people to come in, and some other folks that might you know yeah. do that thing too. What is your dynamic exactly right now? Is it mostly this, and then you'll still do uh, like you DJ for Indie Memphis, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I still gig out. Like I've I've grown a lot as a DJ uh, through WYXR. Um, I left the newsroom. I left writing full time to come start and found help found WIXR as a program manager. And um, officially May 1st, 2020 was when I left the newsroom. And so okay. we launched in October of, of, uh, of that same year. Yeah. And uh, I mean, for me, uh, gigging out is not something that I have to do. I got a job, you know, I've got, <laughs> I still write here and there. I do voice, voiceover work. And other projects, side projects, and you know, uh, write liner notes for albums, write bios for artists, that kind of stuff. And so, but you have a, a good balance. You don't feel overwhelmed or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I figure it out. You yeah. know, but yeah, I still, I still DJ out, and and so any Memphis was any Memphis is something I enjoy doing because it was my first gig. Uh, yeah, my first, my first ever DJ gig outside of Dennis, DJ in the Central Station. They were the first people who called me and were like, "Well, I think they called Daniel Mathis actually, and they uh-huh. said they wanted him." To DJ, I can't remember. It may have been me, and then I brought on Daniel because I didn't have my own turntables. Yeah, but at any rate, um, we did that. We made that happen, and that was at Crosstown Brewing Company. And nobody came uh, because they scheduled the 
the party at the same time as that Harriet Tubman movie that they were showing that night. And it was oh, raining okay. terribly. So nobody came over to the brewery. Even the girl I was seeing at the time and, good. Um, pissed me off. You, uh, you it's got all the, good. It's all good. You got the music out. Got the music out. We kept kept rolling and I kept, I learned a lot that night and I learned, I continue to learn every yeah. time. Every I'm, time. Uh, I'm writing a I'm writing a rap in real time while we're talking. Oh, so word up! I yeah, can't wait to hear this. I might surprise you at the end. That will be a surprise. You might it might cause your ear eardrums to bleed. But do you um, on uh, the creative side? You you write raps or write write anything? Growing up, I did. Growing up, I did. I haven't in a long time. Not 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 regularly. Not seriously in a long time. Okay. Um, when I got to college, I, and then I got a job writing. Um, I just freaked myself out. It's like I don't. I can't be person saying yeah. things that I don't mean uh, if I'm going to be a serious news reporter, which is all that I thought I would be for a while. Really? Mm -hmm. I think you could, man. You could do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Memphis, changing. Memphis is a very forgiving. Oh, well, that's the thing. I wasn't city. living here. I wasn't living here. I, oh, was, really? I started my news career in Mobile, Alabama. So I lived there That's for interesting years. because I've heard that, uh, is it because you, you did the whole, uh, I'm going to start in a smaller market before working with a larger city station thing or because uh, i've heard that's the route you they suggest or most people do is even though i wouldn't consider memphis a large market to where you would have to go to a smaller market to start but a lot of people as, do that as far as media markets are concerned memphis kind of hovers over like out of the top 100 it hovers over like 49 51 okay depending on the year uh no i moved out of necessity I didn't yeah. get a job here. I graduated yeah. from college. I interned at the Commercial Appeal afterwards. They didn't hire me full time. And so um, I was just kind of. So there was a weird time for the business. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely cherish having had that news background. And that's still something that I take a lot of pride in is that, I, you know, I'm a very well accomplished um, published journalist for my subject matter and for the amount that my i mean my years i've done a lot having written about music at such a up close historical level in a city that has so much music history yeah um even when i was in alabama i did some kind of some pretty important music writing you know i'm saying it out loud now this is the first time i'm going to put it on record um that i'm i'm planning to write my book now so okay all my professors were saying, when's your book coming out? When are you going to write your book? And then one of them, like, after I spoke to their class, like, took me in a room and locked the door. I was like, no, nope, you're not leaving here until you until you at least tell, promise me you, you'll give it some thought. That's know? good. I think everybody's got a book, or they say they've got a book, but very few people actually make the book, you know. Yeah, so it took me a couple of days after that, and, and then a friend of mine was like, Let's, we're going out to drinks tonight. You should come. I finished my manuscript. I'm like, I'm putting, turning my book in. I was like, really? She's like, when are you going to write your book? I'm like, I keep hearing this. And she's like, well, there's a reason. You should, you know, listen. And so yeah. um, she was, she's finally said, like, you know, it could just be a collection of essays, JB. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, some very to the T historical text that's like a reference point for everybody. Like, you just write what's interesting to you. And I was like, when you put it that way, I could probably collect some interviews with interesting people from around this town and make something that yeah. people want to read, no matter where they live. This might be a tough question, but I was thinking about music and identity. Mm -hmm. Music that you feel is a part of your identity versus listening to music that's outside of that. I know that's abstract, but music that you feel is a part of your culture, your people, where that music might be an option for other people. They might mm -hmm. enjoy it. They might get down to it at college parties. But I think there's this fascinating thing that, that you can't say that about a lot of other communities where, you know, this is our, our thing, you know, uh, identifying with the genre of music kind of innately or having this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of it, not all of it, but you feel it on top of the heritage of Memphis yeah. music that came out of that, you know, uh, blues, rock and roll, Whoa. rhythm, blues, all that stuff. Um, I just think that's fascinating uh, how music is already so mystical and powerful, but how that it can part, even be yeah. more so if it's a part of your identity, if that makes sense. Well, you know, I think the thing that people might miss is, uh, so people think of rap and they think of rap and they might even know the term hip hop, but like hip hop is, is a discipline. Yeah. And I, and so being from Memphis and then understanding that are kind of separate things that don't necessarily always fit together. You know, not every 
hip, not every rap artist from Memphis uh, knows hip hop as a discipline. They might be disciplined in the idea that they got to get music out and that they got to tell their story, but like understanding to a T that all these tools we use, whether mm-hmm. it be the records, whether it be the turntables, whether it be the mixer, whether it be the beat machine, whether it be the technology in the studio, you're using all those tools in service of a cultural art form that is as important or or is as deep and wide as like martial arts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've seen breakdancing, you've seen jooking. They're expressing some of that same lived in pain and resentment and anger and beauty and colorfulness mm-hmm. and experience that so many people of this diaspora have this thing that they got to get out. Right. But, you know, there's, you know, as much as there's joking and as much as there's breakdance and those are two separate disciplines that that kind of fit into this one cultural expression the yeah. same way that like you might learn krav maga <laughs> you might learn jujitsu like it's different but they're martial arts yeah and so you know i have to know what pete rock has done before to inform what might be room for me to do Mm-hmm. And if I see a record that I know Pete Rock has sampled, I'm going to grab it, not because I want to sample it, because it's been done before, but because I want to be able to understand that tool. Just like someone's like, okay, well, samurai way of thinking doesn't apply to the life that I live, but I want to understand it and know it because I, because I want to honor it and I want to know how I can build upon that base of knowledge. And there's, dog, there's certain dog whistles where someone like DJ Capital A Although he came before me and his story overlaps with mine, yeah. it wouldn't have done so if not for me having me having sort of said and done certain things where someone who did not even have a conversation with them sees my technique and says, okay, he's not. He's not a DJ that just saw something on YouTube and 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 went out and got a controller and then yeah. started playing whatever the hot new music is. He knows he knows his history in a way that that adds respect to this thing. Yeah. So there's a fraternity of people who everyone's got their own style, everyone's got their own flavor, everyone's got their own way of approaching it, but at the core we understand this doctrine and mm-hmm. and there these there are these these touch points where you could you could you might be speaking Memphis style someone might be over here speaking Brooklyn style yeah but you start to slip back into like okay well but no word like this is what this is what that's about and you're like okay well yeah okay well now we just then you, now you're speaking the same language and yeah. it's like okay well I can respect that most of your beats and your breaks are your Al Greens and your, you know, your Isaac Hayes and all these people who are as important to hip hop as like, you know, maybe not as important as a James Brown, but they they were there. These things, things, these things, when the young, when the new people who were putting mm-hmm. this thing together were experimenting for the first time, all that Memphis stuff was in the mix, too, because it was about using the records that their parents were bringing home and mm-hmm. had in their collection to create something new. Uh, and so the Barquets and the Booker T and the MGs and all that stuff was there. And the other thing that's interesting is that there are people who are from Memphis who were there, who, who have been, who have carried this thing on. Yeah. A lot of the Biggie records, a lot of the Wu-Tang records, Carlos Brody was right there. He was producing them, you know, and so yeah. he's from Memphis and he was in, in those rooms. He was making that music happen. I, and, and, you know, I, I thought I knew everything there was to know about what he had done until, I sat up in my bed the other day and I was like, dang, <laughs> my downfall by Biggie is an Al Green sample. It slipped under my mind all this time because he put so much flavor and swag into it. It doesn't sound yeah. like the original record, but a Memphis dude took a Memphis record and gave it to Biggie. And it's one of Biggie's best known yeah. records. Uh, you know, Jazzy Faye, this generation afterwards. But I mean, you wouldn't have your Jeezy's, your Sierra's, your T.I.'s. A lot of these people without him and his, you know, his father was in the Barcades, you know, Gangsta Pat, his father was in the Barcades, uh, you know, Play a Fly. His dad was in um, the Ovations. Yeah. So, you know, the Ovations been sampled by Freddie Gibbs just recently. You know what I mean? Like, so 
you know, we're we're in, interpreting and in, in, in reckoning with this this uh, the intellectual property of our of of our most recent ancestors. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, when I walk into a record store, I'm, I'm walking in there with the information of, OK, this is what the historical Memphis importance of these records are. I'm taking my down home flavor and I'm adding it into the hip hop yeah. uh, conversation. It's almost like um Anthropology, in a way, definitely uh, looking at a historical record. The layperson tends to just group everything together from thousands of years ago. But obviously, those are very distinct cultures, even very close within a few generations. There are very, very different things going on. But yeah. uh, that's why it's important to, to have that knowledge, uh, like you do, to cross dissolve that and understand it. And there's a respect, you know, amongst musicians. I just remember doing the, I think it was the Stax tour, and they talked about mm. when those guys got in the studio, man, like all their differences, just their personal differences and the stuff that was going on around that time. Uh, they left it out the door, and they came in, and, and they just meshed together. Of course, that was a Memphis, uh, you know, that was in the middle of the of the Memphis sound that was still being formed that we know about today that we can look back on. But yeah. even then, I mean. I think that's BS. <laughs> I think that's be I think that's a that's a that's a nice neat way to say it, but I don't think that that's true. But that's a that's a that's something that I think time will have to reveal. Yeah, uh, there's definitely it's, there's there there are definitely instances where they could not ignore their differences. Mm -hmm. But you know that is a happy story to tell. It is because it just touches on that major uh, you know wavelength of we're just in here jamming making music you know and uh, I think it's both and we can leave the political whatever out there but that's like you said not easy to do I think it's both and I think that you know in service of the music we can sort of stop talking about it right now or stop thinking about it right now mm -hmm. but you know I think all the people went home to their families and their families told them like most of them like all right, well, on both sides, like, okay, what are y'all doing again? Like, what? And definitely uh, the reason that we don't have stacks in the capacity that we did back then today is because of all those politics and because yeah. of those socioeconomic dif differences of, you yeah. know, and, and definitely by the time the, the King dies and Otis Redding dies and several different things happen with the business of stacks, it becomes a very black focused effort anyway. Um, and, yeah. and a lot of the white people are, are just uh, either they move on or they you know they they take, they they take their money and do something else or if they had any money, um, and so you start to see by the time stacks closed that you know if there were any white people around they were working for black people or they were they were definitely not in the studio you know doing a lot of stuff you know and then in that level you know at that at that point yeah I don't know the dynamic in Motown uh, I guess you could say that was a rough parallel um, I'm not as I'm not as uh, knowledgeable about Motown Detroit and or business I'm, I'm not that hip to it the 60s okay cool uh, are you into modern uh, are you into electronic or uh, yeah, yeah yeah I love uh, ambient or European stuff you know it's, I love that that's stuff. a big world too it, it it takes it takes a lot of extra space in my brain to sit down and, and figure it out but um uh, there's definitely stuff that I love, the stuff I grew up loving before I even knew about all this music I'm talking about. You know, I would hear music on commercials or in the background of television shows and look up, okay, who's that? Who's telepop music? Or yeah. who's Roy Sop? Or who is Massive Attack? Or all this yeah. kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I got into just sort of figuring out who some of those people are. And now that I'm older and I understand the link between hip hop and those electronic music genres, I'm cross-referencing a lot of the stuff too. Um, you know that influence disco influenced both. Yeah, disco gave birth to both disco, post disco. And yeah, post disco. So there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap in this the types of of uh, instruments used, from turntables and mixers to you know the same keyboards and a lot of that stuff. Roland nine oh nine and the eight oh eights and the you know Gemini's and all this sort of the the instrumentation is similar too. Um, and of course, you wouldn't have house music in Europe without having house music in black inner cities first, mm -hmm. in Chicago and uh, New York, and then techno in Detroit and that sort of thing. And so, a lot of those artists 
directly influenced the people who like heard their records in Europe and were like, okay, I want to do yeah. this kind of music. It really is a kind of an influential cycle, isn't it? Because you had, I think most people would attribute that synth wave kind of early 80s stuff to like, you know, German, like Georgia Moroder or stuff like that, yeah, you know, uh, or, which was played in, in disco and skating rings and things mm-hmm. like that back in late 70s, early 80s. Craftwork. Um, craftwork, yeah, yeah, which was, they just had a concert here. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple months ago. Well, yeah. I love that. I love that stuff. I'm still learning Me my too, way man. around it. Um, and I like the, and I like the U.S., you know, sort of reflecting that kind of stuff back towards them in, in, in L.A. You got your Egyptian lovers and your Arabian princes and Uncle Jam's army. All that kind of stuff. skating ring music. That's yeah, what we yeah. called it. Yeah. So I, I like that stuff. And uh, as far as house is concerned, man, I, I'm very honored and proud and kind of emotional to say it out loud that I've spent a lot of time with Mr. Fingers and, uh, and also known as Larry Hurd, uh, yeah. who uh, lives here in Memphis and uh, has been a resource for me over the past couple of years to just call and ask questions and, and sort of hear from an, an an artist that's doing it as long as he's been doing it. He's in his sixties now, his early sixties. Yeah. And so uh, I'm inspired by him every day. And uh, I'm really fortunate that he's opened himself up to me to sort of tell me about it. And that's his link. That's that link back to the South and to this region is that his folks are from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. He came to Memphis. He left Chicago, came to Memphis to just sort of focus in on who he was as a person and do the things that he wanted to do. Yeah. And so uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, now we have him as a, you know, Memphis, you don't think of electronic music when you think of Memphis, but one of the biggest electronic artists in the world yeah. lives here, chose to live here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess there's a level of healthy pride just of, of just being being from here and living here and, and still working here and just considering everything that's come out of here. But then you'll see guys obviously influenced by stuff that was started here and then it comes back over back to us. And, oh, for sure. And then you just see that obviously with, with throughout modern rock history, Rolling Stones, they were all influenced by, you know, <laughs> cats from Memphis. So Straight up. And then um, like, you know, Heavy D. Don't curse. That's, that's hip hug her by Booker T. Jones. You know, that's, that's, that's one of our rhythms, you know. Yeah. All the Wu-Tang stuff is Al Green and Isaac Hayes and Ann Peebles and all that stuff. You know, I Can't Stand the Rain by Missy Elliott. You know, it's like the well, the, the super duper fly. The rain is what the song's called, but it samples Ann Peebles. And, you know, yeah. like you can look all around and hear Memphis's influence everywhere. Yeah. And back to that authenticity thing. It's just uh, obviously, you know, L.A., Atlanta, New York, anywhere you can do a ultra advanced studio, get some record your stuff. But we got. Um, we just got the goods, you know, Royal, this that sound and Royal Studios. You got yeah. cats like Bruno, obviously, coming to make Uptown Funk and mm-hmm. a sound that you cannot really replicate with modern stuff. I know that might sound simplistic, but. I've seen people try and it doesn't feel the same. And so we got to preserve what we have here and build on top of it uh, with 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 the new. And that, so that's that's to encourage young people to to follow their voice and to be ingenuitive and to understand that of course there's a right way or by there's an industry standard rather i'd say um for making a record but there's also like a lot of ways to get it done that people would they would advise against and you still see hits made every day in a backwards ass way yeah i just hope we can keep it real with this this is some crazy technology on the horizon with ai and Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, auto tune was just the beginning. Just stuff that you can do with AI right now is just wild. Uh, replication. I'm talking about replicating things, yeah. and then uh, you know, uh, I think we need to. Of course, that's just someone who lives in my own time. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful technology, but you don't want it to mess with you know what matters. So if that makes sense, I don't worry about it because. Um there will always be people who will seek and find that real, and it'll rise to the top. You know what it is? It's uh, a different type of environment down here, man. The music. The music. <laughs> I know you sample. You got that on 
Yeah, he yeah, got that on one of these or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a comedian. His name is <laughs> Jeremiah Phillips. I don't know where he's from. I think like Indiana. Or oh, something it's like a that. stand-up thing. I no, it's it a it's some... a it's a it's a sketch. It's a it's a YouTube sketch. He's in in the, the um. I watch this stuff anyway. He's funny, but the the caption was like or the title was like uh, when your friend come back from the down south, <laughs> and so like his 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 stick is always like somebody. He's got a lot of different characters, but he's always got his main character guys. Just like he, it, it's his friend. His friends always filming him in these weird situations, and so it's like Jeremiah, the character, is always pretending to be something. Like you know, I think the first one that went viral was like when you call in dead from work, and so like his friends filming him, like what are we gonna do today? Don't you got to work? He's like, no, I ain't got to work. I, I told them that I died, and they call him and they're talking about like their condolences and all that, and he keeps forgetting to not be himself he's on the phone like i'm jeremiah's brother whatever he keeps forgetting yeah. to be himself to not be himself and so this one this is years later he does this one like you go down south when your friend come go down south and come back acting different and i just assumed of course this person's from like india of course it's gonna be like atlanta people think the south and they think of hip-hop culture or black culture they always think about atlanta and then yeah. you know, so in my mind i'm thinking no way he'd ever be thinking about memphis and it was exactly where he had gone okay. uh, and the character had gone down to memphis and came back and had all these stories and he was just like you know um his friends like filming him he's like why are you smoking and he's like well when you go down there man your nerves get to acting up your nerves get to acting up and he's like well what'd you eat man i had uh man some catfish man some home whiskey man this and he's like naming all this stuff he's like why do you when do you start eating like that man that's what down there what we eat man shrimp you know, stew, like, shrimp, so shrimp. then he was like well well uh you know what what happened? Why you get these teardrops on your face? He's like, man, you know, one of my homies, man, we was in the club. Somebody had some Anna with that, man. We just shot that joint, man. And he's <laughs> like, why are you talking like that? Like, what have you been doing? What, like, what have you been listening to? And he's like, man, when you go down there, man, if you hide, man, they're going <laughs> to eat that up, man. They got so much crazy music down there, man. I didn't. Well, thank you for enlightening me on the backstory. I had no idea. I thought it was like yeah. the same dude who did the Memphis, 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 Memphis. No, no, no. So I know the story on that, too. My okay. homie, uh, Sudo, Sudo Upadea, he's, <laughs> he's known as uh, Sudo Shah on WWE now. He's part of the WWE network of, of hosts now. But he started out on WMC. This was a few years ago. We went to college together. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, he. Uh, it was a fight. It was a local fight. Um, you know, like a boxing match. Like, uh, you know. Yeah, it was at an event, wasn't it? Yeah, like an early pro. I don't know the boxing world, so I think it was more than amateur, but it wasn't like a huge like prize fight. But he he interviewed the guy, the trainer afterwards. Or he interviewed the, the 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 boxer, and the trainer was standing next to him. And I think the boxer was kind of less. You know, he's just he's huffing and puffing. He just got out of the ring. You know, and he's celebrating his win. And uh, I don't know what Sudo asked the. Asked the boxer, but the trainer just took over and was like, "You know what? We just want to give it up all to Memphis, man. Memphis, 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 Memphis. Everything, Memphis. Everything, everything, Memphis. Most beautiful land in the world. Beautiful land in the world. It's just Memphis, and so and then it went viral. And we got to put it out there, man. Sudo shot that. Sudo edited that. And Sudo made sure that WMC aired it too. So Sudo created the meme. You know, Sudo Sudo deserves his place in history for putting that on because because I've seen T-shirts every <laughs> night on one day. People are talking about that. People are sharing it. And it, you know, when you're a creator like we are, we work for an organization. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get the credit. Sometimes the organization gets the credit. So you see WMC's lower third in there, but you don't see that. Sudo shot it. Sudo edited it. And Sudo knew that that was the person to put the camera on and get that sound bite. So that's, yeah. that's, that's artistry, I believe. And now he works for WWE, so he's doing well. Cool. Well, thank you again. I did not know. Yeah. Sudo, what's up? You just gave me a, a double shot of, uh, of knowledge there. <laughs> that's what's up. For the... Uh, 12 people who listen to my podcast so hey, far. Gonna, hey, hey, we're I don't grow care. It. We're going to grow it. I don't it. care, man. It's just something to do. Keep rising to the top. Well, it's a thing. I like this format. I like audio. No doubt. I'm getting, I'm learning it. So uh, thank you for, for being here. Thank you for your time. And for sure. uh, it's nice to have a pro on the mic with me. Just cool, man. It's a beautiful day. Well, thank you, man. I think I can, uh, there's, some, there's some music coming here. I don't know what's going on. We can, All right. I think it's fading in. I think it's a, uh, can you hear that? Not yet. I think it's like a it's a familiar beat. Uh oh. What is going on? JB. 
One day I decided that I had to do a podcast Started thinking hard about who could be my first guest I knew that this one dude I had seen on the scene Had some skills never seen when he stepped up to the beat pad Spinner, scratcher, flipper, spitter Call it what you will, man, this dude a stunner I had seen him often spinning here and there We exchanged looks, the respect was there Always had some headphones on an ice cold glare Then I heard his golden voice all over the air Dude knew his music, was no question about it Knew right then and there, I had no doubt about it Saw him at the course, planning radio flows Felt the time was right to get him on my show Yeah, yeah W-I-X-R something Yeah, 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 yeah W-I-X-R something W-I-X-R something W-I-X-R something Asked if he'd be down in a couple of weeks He said that he would and then we reserved seats Next thing that I know, the day had come at last. I parked right by the door and then I ran in fast. Dude was in the lounge looking fresh as hell. He said, let's go. I said, okay, then we bail. Up the stairs and in the doors, the studio waited. Headphones, sound check, volume regulated. Next thing that I know, we was on the mic. Me and Jebby Boyd talking into the night. He talked, I listened, learned some things Now we mentioned, we discussed some good shit Then we got down to business Talked about the music industry and the vision We was vibing hard, but had to make a decision Me and him was cool, and then we looked at the clock Blizzle Bland was needed back downstairs on the block I stopped recording sound on the studio mixer Turned the lights out, left the room feeling fly as the bizzle I just had the coolest conversation in town But that's the shit that happens when you raise by sound Memphis, 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 Tennessee, the beautiful land in the world. the dopest.